Hello, I'm Elliot Knight, Director of the Alabama State Council on the Arts. Welcome to Alabama Arts Radio. Each week, Council staff will introduce you to exceptional artists and special people who make the arts happen in Alabama. Alabama Arts Radio features the visual, performing, literary, and folk arts that contribute to our state's rich cultural heritage. Join us each Wednesday at 9 p.m. Central to explore the diverse and dynamic arts landscape in Alabama. Hello, this is Ann Kimsey with the Alabama State Council on the Arts. I am in Arab, Alabama at Chafin's Chair Caning and Seat Weaving, and I'm speaking with Gwen Chafin and then her apprentice, Brenda Powell, who's from Alabaster. So I want to start with saying hello to both of you ladies. Mm-hmm. And Gwen, I know that you have been working in chair caning mainly these days, but you also are an accomplished white oak basket maker. And I was wondering how you got started making handcrafts, you know, when that began and what you started on first. I started with the white oak basketry after I retired. I was a teacher and then a principal here in Arab City System. And I retired with 25 years and was able to spend 10 years with my dad doing white oak. Dad learned from his father when he was like 9 to 11 years of age, and that was during the Depression. They were tenant farmers, and they sold baskets as a way to get through the Depression. And when he left for World War II at 17, he didn't make any baskets again. He was always talking about them. And so I moved to Arab from Anniston in 1985, And I went to a little class with some teacher friends. And so I bought enough extra material and took it down to Dad and said, Hey, Dad, I brought you some material so you could make a basket. When I went back the next week, he had used that material, but he had gone to the woods because he didn't like what we were using as handles. So he cut a tree down, and it just all came back to him. And so he started making the baskets, and he got involved with Bill and Mary Smith, who who studied with him later. They wanted to learn the basketry, so in the 1980s, they apprenticed with him. I would help him occasionally with a class or something, but I didn't start with him until I retired in 96. And I started doing it full-time with him and learned to go to the woods cut the trees down. Dad would have to do that, of course. And then we would bring them out over our shoulders and split them using uh, axes and a butcher knife that had been adjusted and reshaped to help with that. And so Dad taught me how to split and to weave. And so I worked 10 years with him until he passed away in 2008. So I was blessed to be able to work with him for at least 10 years without doing anything else. He taught me my first chair caning. He taught me the old splint weave to use white oak to weave in chair seats. And then from that, I wanted to learn the fancier kind. And so he had a friend. His name's Cliff Pear. And Mr. Cliff was from down near Birmingham. At that time, he lived in Moody and then later at Odenville. And he taught at the school up in North Carolina, John C. Campbell School. So my husband retired too, and so we went to North Carolina to study the lace canes, rush, weaving with seagrass, 
weaving with shaker tape, all those, and we did that through John C. Campbell School, and then I taught there until last year in 21. I retired from teaching, and so now I just teach here and teach at Buried on the Mountain and any place that invites me to teach around here. Okay, so tell me your dad's name. Jesse Thomason. And he was from Bluntsville? Bluntsville. When you learned from him, was that through the apprenticeship program at the State Arts Council? Dad and his students, Mary and Bill Smith, had received some when they were all starting in the business. And so they had received scholarships through there. So I received two or three. I'm not sure when I was working with him. Uh, so we had we had baskets that we sent to a lot of the museum tours. Mm-hmm. And just for our listeners, the Folk Arts Apprenticeship Program is a program at the State Arts Council that gives teaching grants, small grants to help traditional artists pass their skills on to a new generation or to others in their community. And it just is a way of keeping some of our important traditions going, like basket making or chair caning, and and also music traditions, too. So we have your apprentice here today, Brenda Powell. You learned from your dad, and now you're passing it on to others. And I wanted to talk to Brenda and find out how she learned, or how she got in touch with you, I guess. Hi, Brenda. Hi. And nice to talk with you. How did you decide you wanted to learn how to cane chairs? Well, I have been refinishing furniture, painting furniture, doing some artsy things with furniture for several years. And a client of mine had a little French antique table that had broken. It had a caned shelf at the bottom. And one of her children had stepped on that shelf and broke the shelf off and the caning broke. And so I committed to repair that for her. And when I started caning that, I ran into some problems and I was trying to locate someone to help me with that. And I couldn't find anyone around. And I ultimately went online and I found a lady in Wisconsin named The Wicker Woman. And on her website, there was Gwen Chafin, Chafin Chair Caning from ARAB Alabama. So I contacted her and asked her if she could help me. And she said, yes, I'm about six months out and then I can help you with that. And I said, oh, well, I'm about two weeks out from needing to return this to my client. Is there any way that you could teach me how to do that? And she said, yeah, if you can come this weekend, then I'll look at it and can teach you how to do that. So I came that weekend and was just fascinated with this wonderful shop that we're in right now and discovered all of the weaving that takes place here. And Gwen was able to immediately identify what I was doing wrong, starting with using the wrong material. So she taught me how to take that out and reweave. We almost finished it that day. And so I said, if I came back tomorrow, could we finish? And she said, sure. And I spent the night in Arab, Alabama, and I came back the next day, and we finished that chair. And I said, can you teach me how to do this? And can you teach me how to do that? Because all of these wonderful baskets and other weaving products that are here and I just immediately fell in love with this place and just wanted to know how to do everything that she does here and so that was over two years ago and I've been coming every week and learning 
all of the things. And I am just so fortunate and blessed that I have Gwen to teach me because as I've discovered not only the skill it takes to do this, I've discovered the master mentor that I encountered just quite accidentally. She is amazing and does perfect work. And people seek her out all over the country. And I feel very blessed to be able to be studying with her. Thank you for sharing that experience. And you mentioned the wonderful shop. We're sitting at it right now and looking around. There's things all over the walls and on the floor and in stacks. Can you describe what we're seeing for our listeners just to kind of help them get a sense of what goes on here? When I first walked in, I just instantly felt that I was in a workshop of a master crafts person. There are baskets, handwoven baskets on the wall that are many different patterns and with many different materials. A lot of white oak basketry. I was intrigued by some seat bottoms that had a herringbone pattern and learning about that weaving. I think that's a beautiful pattern. There are different types of the materials, all the different types, paper, fiber, cane, binder cane, a seagrass, and shaker tape. Is that shaker tape is what it's called, which I have not attempted to work with that yet. And there's rush, paper rush. There are brooms, handmade brooms here. Some of her father's baskets are here, and they're very easy to identify which ones those are because they're all white oak, and now I know how to identify that. It's a very comforting place to where... It's very homey. There's many things that I see that I would use in my home if I had them, and just for decoration purposes alone, but the natural element of the woods in the materials is just something that I enjoy. It's a happy place. I tell Gwen every time when we're scheduling what day I'm coming, I'm like, I can't wait to get to my happy place. (laughs) That's my happy place. Have you been able to work any in White Oak? Very small amount, but yes, been exposed to it, and it was just not too recently a repair job because the product is so hard to come by right now, so I have not started a project and done that, but there was some repair work that Gwen was doing with White Oak, and so I got to be involved in that a little bit. Well, I want to ask Gwen a little bit more about the materials, like the white oak. Brenda alluded to it being sort of hard to come by. Can you talk about how you used to find the white oak and then what the situation is now? White oak is very labor-intensive, first of all, because you do have to go into the woods and you have to have someone who can cut the tree down. And my dad always did that. He would use a power saw. And then once he knew how to tell us which way it was going to fall. There's a safety thing there that you have to be really careful. And then we would go up maybe a foot off the ground, and that would be where he would cut. And then he would look at the tree. He was looking for a tree that was straight with not a lot of knots. If they have knots, then it makes it a little harder, although Dad put some very pretty knots in some trees. He was able to do that too. And we would try to get a section out of the trunk of the tree we'd try to get at least five feet because when we were making the large cotton baskets we needed five to six feet just to do the ribs of the basket and so once we cut the tree down we would bring it out over our shoulder because the woods in the areas we were going didn't have paths and you had to be very careful bringing them out over your shoulder 
of course, I was in my 40s then, and I thought I could do anything. And, and, and now I look back, and I, I did a lot. But now, in my 70s, I can't do that. It is really hard to find white oak basketry weavers in Alabama right now for some reason. We're trying to find someone who could help us. And I'm not the only one looking. There are other people, too, that would like to find someone who could help us with cutting down the trees and actually harvesting them. Then we would bring it back to the shop and we would use axes and uh, real heavy hammers and mallets. And we would first just half that log and then we would quarter it. And then we would take all the bark off. And then once you do that, the tree is going to start drying, so you need to either have a tank to keep the wood that you're not working on in, or some people will dig a trench and actually fill it with leaves and then cover it with leaves, and they'll use a hose to keep it wet. Or if you have a little creek nearby, you could always submerge it in the creek just to keep it wet until you work with it. Then we would take one-fourth of that, We'd half that to eighths, and you take a little out of the center, and you've already got the bark removed. And then Dad would break it down into small amounts, and he had students, Bill and Mary Smith, that worked with him for a long time, and Bill also, in later years, helped me get materials. He would cut those in little sections, and he referred to them as bullets or billets. He would give me pieces to bring home, as my daddy had done for them. Then everything you do, you go to the middle. You always keep splitting in half. Everything's split in half. And then you just pull it apart. We used knives, old butcher knives that had been adapted for that purpose. Dad liked bear knives, and he liked case knives. Those were some of his favorites. And he would use those. And then when we got it down small enough, we would also take those knives, and we would keep scraping each side, back and forth, back and forth, till you get it as thin as you want. Because some of the pieces you use... You want to be thicker, the ones that you're doing your ribs out of. Those would be thicker. But then for the lashing and dad, his specialty was the Alabama egg basket. And he did beautiful ribs for those baskets. Yeah, those are beautiful. Yes. And I have a couple here in the shop of his baskets, and I have a lot at home. And we would scrape those till it was just really nice and thin and make all the different parts you would have to have for a basket. And then we would start weaving. We'd love to find some people out there in Alabama that can identify that tree. And a lot of people have had men who worked in pulpwooding would provide them with trees. But I haven't been lucky in a long time finding the white oak. Any of our listeners who may know of sources of trees that could be cut down for white oak or and somebody who cut them, you could contact Ann Kimsey at the State Arts Council, Alabama State Council on the Arts, or Gwen Chafin at her store mm-hmm. in Arab, Alabama. Chafin's Chair Caning and Seat Weaving in Arab. Yes. It's on the internet. You can find it. So I want to learn a little more about the chair weaving with the cane. Tell me what that's like to work with cane. Dad taught me the white oak, which was splint weaving. He always did an over two, under two. It was a herringbone pattern. Now with the herringbone pattern, we work in anything from three to five, over and under. We can purchase this cane. Most of it comes from Indonesia, and those areas, and then it is cut up and prepared in China and sold to distributors in the States. So if somebody 
traditionally in Alabama were using cane. Would it just be like river cane or something that they had worked with? Or? Many did, and especially the Native Americans. You would see a lot of the river cane. I have not been blessed to be able to do that yet. I've watched it. But with the other cane, it's been around. I mean, they found cane and a rattan, which is the center part, is cut in all sizes. They found those in the Egyptian tombs. Mm. So it's not a product that hasn't been around. It's just that our farmers in Alabama, they could go out and cut a tree easier and usually not have to pay for it. And so they could afford to get enough material to do their work. But we do lace cane, pressed cane, which is like sheet cane. We do binder cane, which is just a little bit larger. And the cane is the bark of the rattan. And then inside is your reed. We do use reed. We also do fiber, or a lot of people call it paper rush. We do that in a flat surface called flat fiber. We do shaker tape. Seagrass is a beautiful, Mm -hmm. beautiful project. But all those we have to order, but they are also available to everyone. So if you're out there and you want to make some baskets or or do chairs, you can readily get those products. Oh, and Danish cord that we both love. So Brenda has been able to learn Danish cord. We don't get as much of that, but that's a very popular one now. You had mentioned that you're going to be teaching a class, I guess, for the general public. Yes. Can you mention where and when that would be? Yes. The next class I'll be teaching will be a beginner class for cane, and we're going to do an 8 by 8 trivet that has had pre-drilled holes. And it will be at Burrett on the Mountain in Huntsville at their folk school. And we're going to be there on the fourth Saturday in August. So if you'd like to take a course in beginning caning, you can call Bird on the Mountain. Just Google it and uh, go to their folk school section and talk to her about registering. Now I know there are not that many traditional, let's say, basket makers and chair caners around, but I know that there are active groups of people who make baskets with commercial products and have just yes. kind of taken it up as a hobby. Yes. Can you tell me anything about any of those groups? The only guild I know in Alabama, now there are other groups, I think Pembroke Farms over at Coleman, I think they have some basket classes there, but I belong to a guild in Anniston, Alabama, and we can order our materials, but we weave with materials we can purchase from the vendors and use those. So if you're interested in that type of thing, they have a seminar that one of the ladies teaches at her house, and you have to take the seminar and learn so many things before you come on as a guild member. And uh, they meet every second Saturday and every fourth Saturday. And what is the name of that guild? Do you that know? is called Dixie Weavers. A good contact person there is Beverly Ashton Vickers, and you'll also see she has put a lot of our patterns and her patterns on YouTubes. So Beverly Ashton Vickers, you can see her weaving online. You can go on and uh, actually learn to do some things. So if if somebody looked up online, they could find, they could locate the information. YouTube is the place to go. Great. (laughs) (laughs) What has it meant? I know you taught most of your life, but what has it meant to continue your father's or your family's tradition? And and also mention your grandfather's name. Okay. My grandfather that taught my dad, Mm -hmm. his name was Frank Thomason, and they lived in the uh, Cleveland area of Alabama on an area most of the time called Berry Mountain. What county is that? That's in Blount County. Okay. 
So dad learned from his dad. He would tell me stories about the baskets they would weave, and they would actually weave the egg basket that he learned from his dad. And they would put long handles of them, and that people would actually buy them for feeder baskets. They could put that handle around the neck of the horse and, and a, use them to actually feed. It's a rounded shape, yes. right, at the bottom? Yes. It's a rib basket, uh, and they uh, were also called sometimes fanny baskets, And but they were great for eggs because you could put eggs in each of the sides, and they wouldn't roll, I guess, and, and break so easily. So it's got kind of a double cup shape, I yes. guess, on the bottom. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there's a term for that. Yes, that, there I, is, and I can't, I think, can't think of, of it either. either. <laughs> When I started learning with Dad, there were quite a few white oak basket makers still in Alabama. I was blessed to be able to meet some of those people. Now, with the chair caning, I learned from another old Alabamian, and that was Cliff Payer. And, of course, he's passed now, and we were just blessed, and my husband does beautiful rush because he learned from Cliff. And we did all of our training with him up at Campbell Folk School in North Carolina. He lived in Odenville in his last years. Well, I'm grateful that you are continuing this tradition and and passing it on to some students and and to Brenda Powell here. I'm going to see if Brenda has any thoughts. I do. Since I've been studying with Gwen, she introduced me to the Alabama Council on the Arts and guided me about applying for the grant and for this apprenticeship. And while that has certainly been helpful because I live a couple hours away from here, and so it's quite expensive to come here, I didn't really think about the money part of it before because I was just so passionate to learn it all, and I'm still passionate about learning it all after working with her for a couple of years. But it has been very beneficial to learn about a grant program and apply for it and receive it because it has helped. I typically spend the night once a week up here, and gas prices are so high right now. It's like such a blessing to have that gift from the state, and I'm very, very grateful to the Arts Council on the Arts for that. And I should mention it's a a competitive grants program and either the apprentice can apply to work with a master artist or the master artist can apply to teach students. And in this case, Brenda Powell applied to work with Gwen Chafin and seems to have worked out beautifully. This is a very successful apprenticeship. And that is the traditional way a lot of crafts are passed on, so it seems to work out pretty well. Anyway, I I do want to thank both of you for having me here, and this has been Ann Kimsey with the Alabama State Council on the Arts, and we've been speaking with Gwen Chafin and Brenda Powell. Gwen in Arab, Alabama, and Brenda is up from Alabaster, and they are both artists on the Alabama Folk Arts Apprenticeship Program through the Alabama State Council on the Arts. Alabama Arts comes to you from the Alabama State Council on the Arts and the Alabama Center for Traditional Culture. Technical production by Deb Boykin. Series theme music, The Bounds of Beauty, written and performed by Scooter Muse. This week on Alabama Arts, Ann Kimsey talks with basket maker Gwen Chafin and her apprentice Brenda Powell. I am just so fortunate and blessed that I have Gwen to teach me because as I've discovered not only the skill it takes to do this, I've discovered the master mentor that I encountered just quite accidentally. That's Wednesday, 9 p.m. Central on Troy Public Radio.
Tonight on Alabama Arts, Ann Kimsey talks with basket maker Gwen Chafin and her apprentice Brenda Powell. Gwen describes learning from her father, who is a skilled white oak basket maker. Brenda tells how she and Gwen met, and the two explain how they've come to work with a variety of materials beyond white oak. And I just immediately fell in love with this place and just wanted to know how to do everything that she does here. And so that was over two years ago, and I've been coming every week and learning all of the things. And I'm just so fortunate and blessed that I have Gwen to teach me because as I've discovered not only the skill it takes to do this, I've discovered the master mentor that I encountered just quite accidentally. She is amazing and does perfect work. But first, the news. 